Let's uh, pray. Lord, we thank you for your word. What a joy and a privilege we, are, we have to be able to read it in our own language today. We thank you for the way it's encouraged us, the way it's challenged us. And Lord, we want to pray that as we seek to open your word this morning, that you would be pleased to speak into our hearts. Lord, we don't want to, we don't want to hear my words this morning, but we want to hear your words and what it is that you would have to say to us. Please give us uh, ears to hear, and uh, we pray that you would help us to concentrate uh, this morning. Through the Lord Jesus. Amen. Well, please turn with me in your Bibles again to that passage that uh, uh, Richard read to us, uh, Matthew chapter 9. Matthew chapter 9. And I want to look at uh, those words we read uh, in verses 35 to 38. 35 to 38. Uh, which reads, uh, Then Jesus went about all the cities and villages, teaching in their synagogues, preaching the gospel of the kingdom, and healing every sickness and every disease among the people. But when he saw the multitudes, he was moved with compassion for them, because they were weary and scattered like sheep having no shepherd. Then he said to his disciples, The harvest truly is plentiful, but the labourers are few. Therefore pray the Lord of the harvest to send out labourers into his harvest. Well, in this passage uh, we read we, we see Jesus. And Jesus, he's walking the streets of Jerusalem. And as he walks those streets of Judea, he sees people, lost people, people without hope. And you know, God's given us uh, good rules to live by. He's told us don't steal, don't kill, don't lie. If you're married, don't split up. And these are good rules, aren't they? He says, love, love God in all your thinking, in all your decision making. And you know, if everybody kept these rules, imagine what the world would look like. If there were no thieves, no murderers, parents did not split up. And if people loved God and acknowledged him in all they did. But the reality is altogether different. People cannot keep God's rules. And it doesn't matter how rich we are, how poor we are, how young we are, how respectable we are, how old we are, we've all broken God's good rules. And God, the Bible tells us that God has to punish um, for breaking those work rules with, a, with an eternal punishment. And our actions condemn us, but there's a wonderful rescue plan. And that is through trusting in Jesus' finished work on the cross. Jesus paying the price that we should pay for our sin and taking the punishment for us. Well, Jesus is here in the passage and he sees people like lost sheep running towards a cliff edge called hell. And these people don't even realise it. And as he looks at these people, we read that Jesus is moved. The whole of his innermost being, we're told, is moved with compassion for them. He wants to help them. 
He wants to rescue them. And Jesus, he's coming to the end of his ministry on earth. In just a year's time, his life will be ended. He will soon die on the cross, rise again and ascend to heaven. And his concern in this passage is those millions of people who are lost uh, on their way to hell. And for those people who, who, who can tell them about Jesus, the good shepherd, the only answer to their problem. What about us today? Your friends, the people around you in your neighbourhood, your work at work, the people of Lincoln. Who's going to help them? Who's going to show, show them the worth and the value and the preciousness of knowing Jesus and uh, through him being right with God? Well, we said earlier that there are also many languages. One in five people are still waiting for a Bible translation. There are many languages today where there is no church, there is no Bible. Still, people still waiting to hear this message. Who's going to reach them? And Jesus paints for us uh, a picture of a harvest field. Um, now, we used to live uh, in Lincolnshire, in, in Grimsby, uh, Northcoats, and uh, it always amazed me how flat the land was. And uh, we have some vast fields, don't we, in Lincolnshire. And uh, picture a, a, a harvest field of grain, of corn. How many grains of corn are there in a harvest field? Well, there, there, there is a huge number, isn't there? There's a vast number, millions. And each one of those grains represents a person in this world who doesn't know about this wonderful person, Jesus. And how many workers are there in this field? How many workers? Just a few. You know, the situation is desperate, isn't it? And nothing has changed. The situation in Jesus' day is a situation today. A massive harvest field and few workers. Well, this morning I want to ask three questions. Okay, three questions for us to think about. And the first question is this. Number one, will you see? Number one, will you see? Will you see the need? Will you see the need? I don't know whether you've seen the adverts on, on TV for charities and the ones that show little malnourished children with some horrible disease. They really tug at the heartstrings, don't they? They really move us. But right here in this passage, Jesus is talking about a problem that is far greater than malnourished children. There is a much, much more serious problem than, than that. And it's people on their way to hell, on their on their, on their way to a lost eternity, a place where there is gnashing of teeth, where the flame does not go out forever and ever and ever. And in many funeral, funeral services across the globe, people are wailing and mourning and crying, despair, hopelessness, emotional, loud emotional sadness, like we saw in that video clip. Or perhaps in England, um, we don't have that loud crying out, but certainly it's on the inside, isn't it? We're, we're not so loud and vocal with our emotions, but still we have that same funeral service going on in this country, that hopelessness and sadness, and there are millions in this situation. 
contrast that to a funeral service of a believer. Quietness, peace, hope, comfort. Isn't the power of the gospel wonderful? And isn't that our dear saviour precious and worth having? Worth trusting. He's glorious. And he wants his glory to be put on display to the whole world. Christ wants to be known here in Lincoln, in our neighbourhood, amongst those around us and amongst uh, the world. Isn't that a wonderful passion that Jesus has? And here in England, uh, we're here gathered together in a church because Jesus wanted England to hear the gospel. And it's possible for us to know Jesus this morning uh, because Jesus wanted England to hear the gospel. And we no longer have to be lost. We no longer have to choose a path of destruction. But instead we can be children of God, co-heirs of Christ. What a wonderful passion that Jesus wanted England reached with the good news. And if that is a wonderful passion, shouldn't it be ours too? Now one of the interesting things that comes out of our passage is that Jesus is somebody who went to all the cities and the villages. In verse 35 we read these words. It says that Jesus went about all the cities and villages, teaching in their synagogues, preaching the gospel of the kingdom. And so we read that Jesus went to all cities and villages. We don't find Jesus staying in one place. He goes to the rich and he goes to the poor. He goes to the well-educated and he goes to the least educated. He goes to the busy. He goes to the quiet. There's nothing that particularly qualifies a person for needing Jesus. And perhaps you're sat here this morning and, you're not, and you, you, you don't know the Lord Jesus as your saviour. And you're thinking that you're not qualified enough for Jesus. You're too bad to be a Christian. Or too good. Or too something else. Well, do you know... Jesus went to all the villages. He went to everybody. And there is nothing here this morning that will disqualify you from knowing this wonderful person, Jesus. Well, perhaps uh, this morning as Christians, sometimes we can be selective in who we tell about Jesus. We tell our best friend, but forget to tell the grumpy manager at work or those who are least popular around us. Well, we need to be like Jesus, and we need to go to everybody. Well, there's another aspect to Jesus' desire that we must consider, and it's this. And it's that the harvest field that Jesus was talking about wasn't just limited to Judea, but the harvest field that he, he had in mind was the entire world. And this comes out again and again and again. For example, in Matthew 28, verse 18, Jesus is on a mountaintop uh, in Galilee, and he tells his disciples, he tells them, go and make disciples of all nations. Mark 16, verse 15, Jesus is in a house this time. And he says, go into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. Do you see the need here in Lincolnshire? And you know, being involved in spreading the good news here is great. And it should be a priority. But what, what about the rest of the world? as well. What about those in history who have never heard about this wonderful person? Never heard the good news that they 
can be rescued from the coming judgment. Groups all around the world, no Bible, not a single Christian in their people group. Some of those people have discovered that their current belief system is not answering their questions, the issues of life and death. How are they going to hear the good news? How are they going to be free from sin and death unless somebody goes and tells them? Do you see the need this morning? Are missionaries' lives worth risking today in order to see the Bible translated and Christ preached in language groups that do not know him? Is my life worth risking today um, and my family's life in order to take this message to people where there is no church? You know, if the harvest field is truly great, there's so much corn to be gathered in. There's so many people who are lost without Jesus and there's so few people involved in telling others about Jesus. And so our first question was, will you see the need? Jesus says, lift up your eyes. The harvest truly is plentiful, but the labourers are few. Well, what are we to do about this great need? What are we to do? Well, Jesus tells us, he says, pray the Lord of the harvest to send out labourers into his harvest. Pray the Lord of the harvest to send out labourers into his harvest. And so my second question this morning is, will you pray? Will you pray? Will you pray big, earnest, passionate prayers that God would raise up labourers for this vast harvest field? Now it's interesting, isn't it? You know, God's so powerful that he, he created the world just by speaking He's wise enough to understand every single piece of information from the blade that grows in the field to the complexity of the human body. He is in charge of everything. Nothing can happen without a God first saying it's okay. And you know, he didn't have to use us to spread the good news about Jesus. He could have used angels. He could have uh, used um, angels to pass on this message to those who have never heard but instead, he chooses to use people like you and I. And what an awesome privilege we have um, to be able to pass this wonderful message on to others. Now, we're a group of people here this morning, and we're all different, aren't we? We've got different skills, different gifts. Some of, some of us are good at maths. Some of us are good at English. There are some who can preach. There are others who are good on a one-to-one -one level. There are some of us who are good with children and there are others who are good with grown-ups and we're all different, aren't we? But here is something that we can all do. Here is something that we can all do. We can all pray big, earnest, passionate prayers that the Lord would raise up harvest field, um, labourers for this harvest field in front of us. Somebody once said, the church is greatest triumph is on her knees. I wonder, as a church, how is your prayer meeting in the midweek? You know, I hope you're at your prayer meeting. You know, if you want to be a thriving church, you need prayer. You need to be at the prayer meeting, praying. And uh, 
My wife and I, we spent some time at uh, North Coates College uh, learning about uh, how to reach people groups who have never been reached before. And uh, one of the things that came up again and again and again uh, is that the history of missions is the history of answered prayer. Just to give you a story, we have a, we have a lady at the uh, college called Elizabeth Moore, and uh, she was a missionary in Papua New Guinea. And uh, it was interesting, they worked amongst the Inapang people group. And uh, in 1984, uh, Wycliffe Bible translators, I think, uh, they, they, got all the, uh, they got a list together of all the different language groups in Papua New Guinea, and they, they distributed amongst those language groups, group by group amongst people, and they said to those people, please will you pray for this one language group that one day they would hear uh, the good news. And so in 1984, um, there was a group of people who started praying that the Inapang would one day hear uh, the good news. Now it's interesting, in, in 1984, uh, when people started to pray that this group would be reached, when they started to pray that there would be labourers for this harvest field, that was the same year that this person, Elizabeth Moore, got saved. She got saved that same year. And then a few years ago, um, later, after she got saved, um, she became a missionary to this people group. And together with her, with her husband and some co-workers, uh, they have taken the good news um, to this people group. And uh, recently, uh, Daniel and Elizabeth, they wrote to that small group of people um, who had been praying since 1984 that this language group would be reached with the gospel and some of these people, they've been praying every day since 1984 that this people would be reached with the gospel. And up until recently, they had no idea that this couple had gone out and had, had reached them uh, with the gospel. And now they have heard that God has answered their prayers. And now this people group have a church and a group of believers who know the Lord Jesus. The history of missions is a history of of answered prayer. Prayer is a theme that characterises Paul's ministry. We find that Paul is a praying man. He prays about the gospel work he's involved in. He pleads that people would pray for him in his gospel work. He asks a prayer for what to say in gospel work. He asks a prayer that he might be bold. He prays that, um, that churches would bear fruit. And he tells us that he prays night and day. And uh, here is Jesus. And he tells us, look at this massive harvest field of need the harvest is massive but the workers are few pray that workers will be sent out to the harvest field you know we can all be involved in reaching the ends of the earth you know even if we can't use our two feet to go go out and go to one of these places we can be praying can't we here in england are you a praying people Prayer requires energy. Are we a people that exhaust ourselves in prayer? Will you pray? So we said, will you see? Number two, will you pray? Now, there's something else that's quite funny about this prayer request. Um, up until this point, the disciples of Jesus have just been following uh, Jesus and learning from him. And uh, whilst Jesus was urging his disciples uh, to pray, Little did they know that they would later become the answer to their prayer request. And if you flick over to chapter 10, uh, verse 5 and 7, we read these words. These twelve Jesus sent out 
and commanded them, saying, Do not go into the way of the Gentiles, and do not enter a city of the Samaritans, but go rather to the lost sheep of the house of Israel, and as you go, preach, saying, The kingdom of heaven is at hand. And so the disciples were asked to pray for labourers, and then they became the answer to that prayer request. And so my final question to you is, will you go? We said, will you, will you, will you see? We said, will you, will you pray? Final question, will you go? Will you go? Hudson Taylor, missionary to China, said this. He said, I used to ask God to help me. Then I asked if I might help him. I ended up by asking him to do his work through him. Jesus, he gave us this the commission, great, great commission, didn't he? He said, go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptising them in the name of the Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all things that I have commanded you. And lo, I am with you, even to the end of the age. Just Jesus tell us to wait for people to come to us? Or does Jesus tell us to go out to the people? Well, he says go, doesn't he? He says go, therefore, and make disciples. Literally, Christ says, go out, and having gone out, make disciples. And we're all called, if we're a believer here this morning, we're called to step out um, and to make uh, disciples. You know, we're, we're privileged, aren't we, to be part of churches. You know, the church here and the church where I come from, you know, we're privileged that we, we belong to churches who are active about spreading the good news of Jesus. Well, are you involved? Um, are you involved? Is obeying Christ to go and to make disciples here? Is it a priority for you? It will be hard, but you know, we've been given some great and wonderful promises. Attached to the Great Commission is this wonderful promise. Jesus says, Lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. You know, gospel work is hard. Telling your friends about Jesus is hard. Evangelistic activities are hard work. You know, talk to people who are involved in them. And uh, talking about Jesus is hard, especially when people are, op- are opposed to Christianity. It requires intentional effort. It requires us to step outside of our comfort zones. But what an encouragement we have in this text. Praying about, gos- praying about gospel work is hard. Do you find it hard to pray? I, I do. What an encouragement in this text. Lo, I am with you always. Do you find it hard to go out in your local area? What an encouragement in our text. You know, this is no ordinary person with us. It's somebody who's better than anybody else, any other Christian in the world, anybody else who's sitting beside us, um, who can, you know, sometimes, you know, in in evangelism we we wish, you know, oh, if only such and such was helping me. If only I was with Richard or with someone else. But you know, Jesus is with us and he is the best person to have with us because he has all authority. You know, and that should fill us with immense confidence to go out uh, in this step. To do outreach is a step towards discouragement. But Jesus is with us to cheer us on and to encourage us. To do outreach is a step outside our comfort zone. But Jesus has promised to be with us. 
to do outreach is to face difficulties and trials. But Jesus, he's promised to be with us. And you know, Jesus, he knows what it's like to have a body, to have human flesh. He knows what it's like to be you. And his compassions, they fail not. His love has no limit. His power has no boundaries known unto men. And his person, he's promised to be with us. And just one other little challenge. What about the rest of the world? What about those people who have never been reached in the whole of history? Or maybe you feel that uh, you can't go out yourself, but you can certainly pray for those of us who are out there. You know, as I look ahead to the work that we're involved in, I feel so inadequate. You know, every day that passes, I feel increasingly more inadequate to the work that we have to do in the future. But you know, the reason why we keep going is because Jesus has promised to be with us. And the scriptures tell us that God uses the weak things of the earth to confound the mighty. And we have people praying for us here. And that encourages us to keep going. You know, the greatest thing in life is to bring others to Jesus. If you had the cure for cancer, would you keep it a secret? Or would you tell the world? And here we have millions and millions and millions of people on their way to hell. And we have the only answer. William Boo, founder of the Salvation Army, a man passionate about the Great Commission, he said these words. He said, some like to live within the sound of a church or chapel bell. I'd rather run a rescue shop within a yard of hell. God is zealous about the Great Commission. What about you this morning? Are you here today sharing God and his passion for the world? Here in Billinghay and the rest of the world is accomplishing the great commission a priority for you will you pray earnest passionate prayers that god would send out laborers into his harvest field and for those who are not a christian here this morning you know i want to commend jesus to you this morning you know there is no one here on earth that is more worth knowing than the lord jesus and jesus is standing here this morning not to condemn you but with outstretched arms to save you. And he's promised that whoever comes to me, I will not cast out. He didn't save himself because he wanted to save us. Will you trust him? Will you come to him this morning and have your sins dealt with? Well, let's just uh, spend a few minutes in silent prayer, praying for the great, vast harvest field, praying that the Lord would send out labourers, praying for those who we know who are in um, this work and thinking about how we can be involved. Let's just spend a few minutes in silent prayer.
Lord, you have painted before us a harvest field of great need. And Lord, we thank you for your compassion to see, your passion to see the lost reached. And Lord, we look at ourselves, we look at our lack of passion, and we pray, Lord, that you would change us and make us passionate for your word going out. I pray that you would encourage us this week with this challenge. I pray, Lord, that you would raise up labourers, raise up labourers in this church, more labourers to reach the harvest field around us, more labourers for the mission field. And we pray that you would show us how we can be more involved in the task that is before us. We pray this through the Lord Jesus. Amen.